Welcome to the Off Street Podcast featuring Adam Reiner and Sean Dan. Off Street contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and contains certain forward-looking statements of future possibilities that due to known and unknown risks and other uncertainties and factors may differ materially from actual results. As such, there is no guarantee that any views and opinions expressed herein will come to pass. Off Street is presented for informational purposes and nothing contained herein should be construed as a solicitation to buy or sell any security or as an offer to provide investment, tax, or legal advice. Additionally, this communication contains information derived from third-party sources. Although we believe these sources to be reliable, we make no representations as to their accuracy or completeness. Adam and Sean are employees of Marshall Financial Group, Inc., a registered investment advisor. For additional information about the firm, including its services and fees, send for the firm's disclosure brochure or visit advisorinfo.sec.gov. All right, Sean, it is Tuesday, October 3rd. Hard to believe we're in October. 1.30 in the afternoon. We are back from Arizona. Back in Philly just in time for Red October. We had a great time in Phoenix last week. Got three great interviews that we're excited to share from you. Saw a lot of great research, met a lot of interesting people. Really, overall, 10 out of 10. Thank you to Phoenix. Thank you to FPA. Yeah, we're at the Financial Planning Association annual conference last week. Good time. Interesting, interesting research that we saw. You touched on it. We are in Red October, which if you're not from Philadelphia, means the Phillies are in the playoffs. Yes. Again. Not been a lot of times we could say that again in the recent history. Back-to-back years. Back-to-back years after, I think, roughly a 10-year drought. So the city of Philadelphia is definitely taking full advantage. In the sports world, anyway, we're at peak optimism right now for the Phillies. When the Phillies are playing well and the Eagles are playing well, this is some of the best time of the year. For sports when it comes to October and it was a little bit concerning someone in the office earlier today pointed out to us that we're reaching the time of year where people's moods more and more hinge on the performance of Philly sports teams which yes a little bit concerning I can't imagine what he's talking about <laughs> <laughs> that, it, that it's that palpable but there is a buzz there is excitement you're going to the game tonight correct I will be at the game tonight I think you'll be at the game tomorrow yes yeah, so you'll be at game one I'll be at game two Hopefully there's no game three. We just take care of it in two games and just make it easy. And on to Atlanta. So red October, we ha- we're coming off of a, a red September, more or less. Pretty negative start to the second half of the year. First half was great. Second half has been more more challenging. Since the end of June, we saw the 10-year treasury rise from 3.8% to walking in here today. It was 4.7 range. Pretty staggering. Yeah, pretty big drawdown that we've seen now. Barclays aggregate bond index now has year-to-date losses. At one point this spring, I think, returns on the index were somewhere mid-single digits. Crazy drawdown and then crazy that this would be the third straight year of negative returns in the ag, which it was such a historical anomaly to have two. People Pretty thought, surely yeah. this year, the Fed had done a lot of their lifting. we got to get something out of bonds if we had negative this year. That's just unprecedented, really. And the same same thing with equities. Breaks have been put on the rally. We traded in a range so far now. We're trading lower than we were at the end of June, depending on what index you look at, between down between 45 and 5%. Um, interesting to see, though, looked at some attribution analysis in Bloomberg earlier, that it's really five stocks have contributed to most of this rally that we've seen in the S&P. NVIDIA, Apple, Microsoft, Meta, Amazon account for nearly 70% of all returns uh, for the S&P 500 this year. Uh, looking at the S&P 500 equal weight, so every, all the components of the index, 
just equally weighted, it's actually like negative. It's down about 2% right now. Yeah, the breadth argument, there's really no way around that. It has been a narrow rally. And without the tech stocks, like you said, this year feels a whole lot different. Maybe a more positive spin on things. We knew September had had a good chance of being rough. Historically speaking, the August to September timeframe is usually that worst two-month stretch in the year that you're going to see. We're down about 5% for the month on uh, SPX, S&P 500. It's our worst month so far in 2023 and the second straight negative month. For how ugly September usually is, the fourth quarter historically has been very strong. It's historically the strongest quarter of the year. And all three months, October, November, and December, have on average historically positive returns. And so it's kind of just one of those seasonal anomalies. There's no obvious solution as to why it happens, but historically the fourth quarter is pretty solid. Feels like one of those quarters where we just need to make it past the first month and this is being October and get into the back half of the quarter where I think most of the gains probably come from. Feels like a lot of pessimism, negativity coming from the bond side right now. It's almost like if you had to write a headline for markets right now, it would be yield jitters causing stock shivers. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you like that? <laughs> and it's kind of like, why, why are yields rising right now? Some pushback from the Fed within the past couple of weeks about um, where rates may go, how long they'll have to stay there, what to expect for cuts next year. They still do expect cuts next year from their dot plots at the last meeting. Maybe not as, as much as people were expecting. I think an, another positive spin zone, you could say, we started September, yields were in the four to 410 range. The fact that we're all the way up in the 470s now and we only were down 4% change, just under 5% in September, we stomached that pretty well. That's a pretty huge move in yields that was pretty unexpected. You know, it wasn't too long ago the debate was, all right, we hit 4%, is now the time to lock in these rates. We're probably not going to go that much higher. So to hit 470, we're taking it in stride. And the closer we get to, to peak rates, the better you, you should feel, I would think, especially about bonds, but about stocks as well. Yeah, markets certainly seem to be adjusting to a new regime. It certainly feels like the Fed is in control at this point. I know over the past 18 months, there was speculation or those wondering who's really controlling the market narrative right now. Is it the Fed or is it markets? I think really since the last meeting, it's the, the Fed is controlling things yeah. right now. And like you said, probably not a time to abandon fixed income. I know BlackRock, they they think there's a pretty big opportunity in, in fixed income right now. It is it is ironic. Just like stocks, everyone always talks about the old adage of the best time to be in stocks is after a drawdown. But it's also the most uncomfortable time to be in stocks. With fixed income, we've come out of this time where you were getting next to no yield on fixed income. And people are saying, is this 60-40 dead? What's the point of having it in there? Now you're getting in a lot of places great yields yields that were unimaginable 18 24 months ago and now people want to get out of them because it took a little pain to get there but just like with stocks right after that pain you usually set yourself up for more positive forward-looking returns yeah probably the biggest difference between equities and bonds is on the equity side when there's a drawdown you have to have hope and optimism that things are going to recover companies are going to generate more revenue um, the economic outlook is going to improve on the bond side when you're when you purchase a bond you're making a loan these are investment contracts unless the company defaults you're going to get back par on on your investment and so right now bonds might be trading below par probably a lot of bonds are trading below par maybe 90 cents on the dollar and just holding till maturity you know you're going to recoup that money if you were buying today you may be buying 90 cents on the dollar 
and you'll get a dollar back when these bonds mature. So there, there is opportunity in fixed income. Absolutely. And it's a great point you said with stocks. To some extent, things have to go well. You invest in a company for the stock to be higher 10 years from now. Theoretically, the company has to do well. It has to execute. For bonds, things don't necessarily have to go great. They just don't have to blow up. Yeah. Right? Like as long as the company's there and they're honoring their contracts, you don't really care what the stock does. You don't care if the company's grown. As long as they can pay your debt out, you're good. It's almost like saying we've had a large drawdown in equities. Let's say equities are down 40%. I feel like I should bail now, go to cash. The equivalent of saying the same thing in fixed income right now, when opportunity is probably the highest it's been in the past decade plus right now in fixed income to lock in higher yields for a longer period of time. And the lock-in is, I think, the important point there. There's so much discussion about, well, now I can get 5% in a money market. Now my high-yield savings account is at 3 4%. Why even take the risk? Why not just park my money and get it? Well, a lot of those products, they're floating rates. As soon as the Fed starts cutting and coming back down, you know, maybe you get 3 4 5% for the next year or two, whereas some of these longer-term bonds, if you lock in these rates now, if you lock in a 10-year treasury now at 470, you're guaranteed, backed by the government, 4.7% per year for the next 10 years. So you're locking that in. And as if yields do come back down in the future, Fed cuts, there's a chance for price appreciation in that bond. So you could potentially sell it for a gain if you wanted to at, at some point. But even rate risk is pretty balanced. Given where yields are today, rates were to move another 1%, what you're receiving in interest would almost offset any further interest rate risk. So we haven't seen that in quite some time either. Just talking ourselves into, into fixed income here. <laughs> a lot of fixed income discussion. <laughs> not, with, not where we expect to go, I think, but I think a good discussion nonetheless. SBF in the news again. I think his trial is starting this week. Is that right? Yeah, I think they're like selecting jurors. Michael Lewis was, was embedded, I guess, with uh, FTX when they collapsed, and he, he wrote a book about it. It's called yes. Going Infinite. It came out today. Today. Um, I know we both received copies of the book. Um, but interesting discussion. It seemed like he had in 60 minutes. Yeah, really, it seems like he got a lot of heat. I think separating I, the heat he got is it seemed like he was pretty apologetic and friendly towards SBF. That's at least how he came off. Separating that, just the, the subject material that he talked about was very interesting. Some of the stuff that it sounds like is going to be in the book. So I can't wait to dig into that. But it was interesting how he ended the 60 Minutes interview talking about SBF specifically. And he talked about crypto, the effect of altruism, all these things he set out to help. And Michael Lewis said, every cause he, he sought to serve, he damaged. Every cause he sought to fight, he helped. And so a big part of that is the crypto field. He was kind of this beacon of stability and, and like a serious person in that area. And then when he was exposed to be an alleged fraud, it really hurt the space in a space that had a, kind of a negative connotation to it. Part of the rise of crypto was helped by the rise of financial influencers on social media. While we're in Phoenix, Sean, we had the opportunity and we're fortunate enough to be able to catch up with Dr. Brian Walsh, Director of Advice and Planning at SoFi. Dr. Walsh had presented some research him and his team were doing regarding the age of the influencer, risks for consumers, and opportunities for planners. And it really had a, a lot to do with how social media impacts financial decisions. Great conversation with Dr. Walsh. He brought a lot of great insights, I think, helped us with some of our perspective on the space. I think you guys will find it interesting, too. So we will play that conversation now. Sean, last week we had spoke with planner in the office, Matt McGraw, about savings, saving strategies. 
in response to some videos that he saw on social media. Misinformation, good information, everything in between. Here at the conference, uh, we saw a presentation by Brian Walsh, PhD, CFP, uh, Director Director of Advice and Planning at SoFi. And he gave a presentation, The Age of Influencers, Risk for Consumers and Opportunities for Planners. And we generally love stuff when we can get some actual data to support our views. And here it was again. We're, we're pretty lucky today. We were two for two in that regard. Definitely so, resonated. It was one of those where yeah. every, every slide we just looked at each other and just kind of shook our heads. Well, lots of notes during this one. <laughs> but here we are with, with Brian. Brian, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I, I can't take full credit. Worked on it with uh, my co-author, Derek Sensenig, uh, who teaches at uh, Kansas State, where we both got our PhD. So it was a cool project to work on. Definitely, like we said, resonated with us, especially in this day and age of TikTok, Twitter, Reddit, financial content, it's easier than ever to put out there into the ether and it's easier than ever too to kind of mislead people. And so, you know, your research went into a lot of where does the content go, where do people go for it and kind of how does it go right and how does it go wrong. So if you just want to kind of run through your your main findings. Yeah, for sure. So I guess like at a high level, the reason why I went after this is I got asked to start doing a bunch of content on social media from work. And I wasn't comfortable doing it. Like, I mean, I'm sure you all have been there where like, okay, you do a live stream, you do a video and like 10 people watch it. And like, you're begging your mom, your grandma, like, give me some clicks. And it like, it putting yourself out there is embarrassing at times. And I was like, man, is this really a good use of my time? So Derek and I were talking and we're like, okay, why do people use social media for their personal finances? And like, does it actually influence their finances? And what we found was at the end of the day, like, yes, a lot of people are using social media to learn about their finances. It was roughly like 70% are using social media to learn and find out what to do with their finances. And then if they use it, yep, it definitely influences their financial decisions. And we did this through, we collected primary data, we collected survey responses, we analyzed it. I can get into the nerdy details, but basically we used a model where it can both explain and predict, which I think is important because it's like, we're not just talking like associations here. It's like, okay, this leads to that. And I thought that was a pretty cool aspect of our research. Yeah, I was pretty surprised that YouTube and Reddit were the top two platforms. Wasn't what I expected initially when the presentation began. Yeah, I mean, so it surprised me, but it didn't. Like Reddit was one of those ones where, I mean, you go back to 2020, it's like Reddit was left and right, Wall Street bets, all this other stuff. So like that didn't surprise me. YouTube at first did. But when I took a step back and I thought about it, it's like, okay, my kids are four and six. Maybe I'm a bad parent, but like they want to watch YouTube. Like it's a great way to learn about things. Or even when I worked on my PhD for my dissertation, like I learned how to use a certain analysis method on YouTube. So like it's a great place to go either surface level and then dive down deep. So like it eventually made sense to me, but I was kind of surprised that like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn were all lower. Yeah, I, th- I thought Twitter was going to be much, much higher on the list. Yeah, the whole Twitter finance space is so big, or at least we keep up with it. But like you said, in 2020, that whole kind of Reddit underworld that people didn't really give much credit to, you realized how big that was in scale and saw how it moved markets. So there is an impact there for sure. Yeah, like, but when you take a step back and you think about it though, like, I don't know, I'll, I'll use a nerdy example. My, my son's six, we play Minecraft together. I start playing it, I'm like, I have no clue what to do. So what's the first thing I do? I, I had to figure out how to build like a crafting table or whatever that is, nerd alert, I guess. What are the first thing I do is I go on Google. I'm like, how do you build a crafting table? How do you get started in Minecraft? What pops up? 
YouTube videos. I yep. watch that, and then I find the next thing. So like, when Brian, people have I questions, have they do it. More Minecraft videos on YouTube kids <laughs> than I prepared to admit. Uh, so we should combine like personal finance and Minecraft. My wife's gonna divorce me. Um, but like, that's a good example because you go on there and you have a question, and you know you can find an answer on YouTube. Whereas Twitter, you have to follow people to see it like sure. so i think it's easier to be like more exploratory on youtube and you, you touched on it a little bit of early when you start making content it's hard to put yourself out there it's it's not fun to see you have 10 views you talked about in your in your speech how you went from that and you wanted to keep the focus on education you didn't want to kind of go the route of some of the tiktok influencers misinformation and you got to the other side and, and you've maybe have struck more of a balance of educating while becoming entertaining through that journey what were your big takeaways what resonates with people where i, for, I forget the analogy you used like you the veggies you give them their veggies yeah. but you know give them dessert too yeah it's kind of like so my my son he to get him to eat broccoli we have to like put like ranch on it so like you gotta you gotta combine that and i think the biggest thing that changed for me was my perspective because Anytime you put yourself out there, unless you know there's an underlying reason where like, hey, I'm going to look like a complete idiot at times, you have to have that reason behind it. So the research showed that like, okay, people who are more gullible and know less about their finances are more likely to use it and then more likely to follow it. I was like, oh, crap, this is a big risk for people. Like it's dangerous people putting, combination. Though. Yeah, Very. like anything could go out there. And it's like it's kind of like everyone in this profession's responsibility to take the risk of looking, you know, looking bad at times or being embarrassed at times because you need good information out there. And as cheesy as it sounds, once I connected those dots, I was more willing to be more vulnerable. And I handled the, the bad views or like, oh man, I said that wrong. I look weird. Like yeah. I handled that better because I'm like, there's a reason behind it. And that helped me a ton. In the research you had said um, or found, as income goes up, people are more likely to learn about finances on social media. So kind of with that in mind, do you have any thoughts on, on how people can vet or decide whether they're getting good advice or bad advice on social media? Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I think the, the two things I always go back to is, number one, I would look at, is this person working in the industry? Like, I'm not saying that it, I mean, the financial industry is like any other profession where there's good, there's bad, everything in between. But at least if they work for a company and they're in this industry, they're going to have a compliance department, a regulator should be looking at what they're doing. I know our compliance team does. Um, the second thing would be looking at their designations. Like, I'm not going to look for investment ideas from anyone that doesn't have their CFA designation. Financial planning, if they don't have their CFP, I'm not listening to it. So, like, I think doing those two things can help weed out a lot of the bad insights that you see out there. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point with the compliance departments. Oftentimes, Sean and I will get feedback, you might as well, that can you guys talk about this or get deeper into that or give specific recommendations? And it's just, no, we, we can't. There's just some things we can't do for compliance reasons. And it's kind of asymmetric in that aspect when you're actually professional as part of a firm and credentialed there's different hurdles you have to go through as someone who's just posting a video on TikTok of how to make 20000 a month doing something. Yeah, like I, I wish it was that easy. Like I, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd just be chilling. But I think like that's a good point because when you don't have to worry about that, you can speak in absolutes a lot of times. Yes. Like this is going to work and all this other stuff. You'll rarely hear me say anything in absolute terms. 
because you never know someone's unique situation. So like, yeah, generally something could be a good idea. And that's just that extra layer of compliance. Like there's no one size fits all for personal finance. And anyone who acts like there is, you got, I, I tend to question it. Yeah. The, the one part that I thought you, you mentioned it in, in the last response and it really resonated during the presentation is like cryptocurrency. The reaction I think from the industry was let's not touch it, let's not talk about it. And that opened up that vacuum of well, what content comes in there is the maybe the bad stuff and, and pushing people towards scary things. And that's like you said, that perspective shift is so important of maybe, you know, you don't want to sound like a downer by saying like maybe be careful here or you're the reason someone misses out on the pop, but you know, that's so important of maybe the best way to fight this bad content is with good content. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think like anytime you just completely dismiss something you're missing a huge opportunity. Because whether it be, you know, crypto, NFTs, the videos that we, you could go on Twitter right now and find like 20 videos where as like someone in the profession, you laugh at it. You're like, how is someone listening to this? But like, it's out there. People are. Yeah, Yeah. people are, otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. You know, so I think rather than like running away from things, it's just about embracing it. And I even have to force myself that like, I don't laugh at these videos anymore because it's serious because someone probably watches one of these videos and they lose something they can't afford to lose and that's that's not good so yes sean and i were we're gonna get a i think it was on x or twitter right it was someone a professional financial professional saying they it's easy to beat the s p 500 their portfolio got averaged 13 percent returns over how many years and if, generally if something sounds too good to be true it, it is. I think someone actually did the research on how likely that was, and it was very unlikely <laughs> that that happened. Yeah, I mean, you look at the data, like even like professional money managers, like how many of them consistently beat the benchmark? And these are people who spend their entire lives doing it. They got teams of analysts. They have an entire process. And if they cannot consistently do it, like what makes you think that some like 18-year-old kid in the dorm room is going to be able to do it? So like that's, that's where you got to kind of take a step back and think about it more. Absolutely. So kind of if we're, if we're at this intersection or if we're at this maybe inflection point where the content's going to continue to come, where do you see us going from here? Do you think it's just going to be more and more, we got to fight the bad stuff? Or do you think regulators step in or, or something breaks in that space or a bear market comes and people mellow out? Like where, where do you think we go from here? Yeah, I think, you know, realistically, more people in the planning profession are going to continue to get out there on social media. And I think they're going to go out there, they're going to put videos on YouTube, they're going to tweet, they're going to post on LinkedIn, all these other places, and they're going to put out good content. And they're going to learn from the good things that people are doing. Like, just because an influencer, you don't agree with what they're saying, if they're getting 500,000, a million, 2 million, 10 million views, like, they're obviously doing something right. So I think it's just, like being humble enough to say like, okay, what are they doing right? What can I take from that? And how do I apply it to my own craft? And I think once they see how powerful it can be, not only in their business, but then also kind of like towards society, I think we'll start seeing a ton more good content out there because there's already good content out there for sure. Um, But I think we'll see more and more of it as time goes on. Yeah, I guess big takeaways, if you're a consumer client, end user, be mindful of what you 
digest or take advice from on social media. And if you're a financial professional, get ready to embrace it and it's not going away. So. Yeah. And I think the, the question earlier about like, how do you find out what you should listen to and not listen to? Like, I feel like it's with anything else. Like you don't want to just go on social media, see an idea and it's like, okay, I'm 110% doing that. Like use that as a way to generate ideas or themes or things like that. And then do your research, find a trusted advisor, find someone else who's trusted, bounce it off them. Cause it'd be a great jumping off point. Like I've been doing this for shoot 17 years now. And I'll see new stuff that I don't even think about on social media, but I don't just like jump in head first. Like I dive into it a little bit so anyone can learn from it. Just verify it. Yeah. I thought, that, I thought it was interesting. The top three areas were spending, debt payment and investing. Yep. All very important things. But again, on the flip side, dangerous. Like if you do it wrong. Yeah. Spending is probably my favorite one on social media. Like that is the area where I have learned more random tips and tricks on my own spending than anything else. And I'm like, that is absolutely invaluable because spending is the most important thing people can do. Um, everyone wants to try to pick the best stock or whatever it may be, but if you're spending more than you make, it doesn't really matter. Right, that, that golden rule of finance, right? Yeah, it's always, it's the hardest rule to follow though. And it's the least fun, um, but there are creative ways to trick yourself into doing it. And I love, I love that aspect of social media. We, I mean, we joke all the time about, there's the, there's the camp of people who are like, all right, you cut Starbucks out, like you saved X amount of money. And it's like, all right, well, like you said, the, maybe we look at the, the big car payment. How can we fix that? Or income, like that's so important too. People maybe under, they, they miss the big things to focus on the little things. And it's like, all right, is a, is a $5 Starbucks that I get twice a week going to make that big of an impact? I don't oh, know. You're Thanks hitting on my biggest clicks. pet peeve on social media where it's always like the Starbucks going to Whole Foods, exactly. stuff like that. I'm like, I'm like, no, it's because you got a thousand dollar a month Tesla payment. Yes. It's not going right. to, it's not going to Starbucks <laughs> twice a week. Mighty, that's almost a direct quote of what we talked about <laughs> last week. So glad. We got a lot of feedback on that one. <laughs> Good confirmation yeah. there. Like nothing against, like nothing against cars, Tesla, and everything like that. But like those big ticket items, that's what matters. Not if you spend five bucks on Starbucks. Like, sure, it all adds up, but you don't want to like bend over to pick up pennies and ignore the dollars. Like that, it just, you just never want to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, great research. Very interesting. Appreciate you joining us here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Big thanks to Dr. Brian Walsh for joining us. Uh, we hope you found the conversation insightful and perhaps even a, a little interesting. Uh, we look forward to seeing more of his research from him and his team, as well as watching the continued evolution of how social media and finance intersect. Very important space, very important work that he's doing. And again, we encourage you to, to dig deeper into it if you have any interest. And we look forward to more from, from Dr. Walsh moving forward. Would you like to pivot to some uncorrelated here, Sean? Two good ones. This is, this is a sports-themed uncorrelated. Yes. So yesterday, Major League Baseball announced that their 2023 attendance surpassed 70 million. There are actually 70.7 million tickets sold this year, Sean, which is about a 10% increase from 2022. Eight clubs topped 3 million, including the Phillies. And in terms of biggest increases in attendance, the Phillies saw nearly 10,000 more people per game. It was the largest increase in 2022. Unfortunately, there was one guest last week who was not welcomed at <laughs> Citizens Bank Park. Yes. <laughs> and that is the support alligator named Wally. Yes. Was not granted permission. So as you said, it was a six foot long, 55 pound gator. 
uh, attempted to gain access to the game last week. It was denied as it was on a dog, support emotional support dog. Apparently, this is a famous alligator. Wally the alligator has 114,000 TikTok followers and 27,000 Instagram followers. Sounds like he was invited to the he and, and his handler were <laughs> invited to the game to get their pregame and meet the players. Sounds like he got there late and they thought, hey, we're here, we're too late to meet the players, but let's try and go into the game. Yep. And that's when they were denied access. And he was it, the the handler is fine. He said that's the rule. The rule is the rule. But he said, quote, I don't go anywhere. Wally is not invited. So yep. they, they didn't go in. They left. Yes. You know, a lot of speculation about who's going to throw the first pitch tonight at the game some fans think it could be wally the support gator that'd be awesome could you imagine if they put wally the alligator out there put like a, a baseball in his mouth People there would... there were some fans who worried that banning wally the alligator would be equivalent to the cubs banning the billy goat in the 1940s <laughs> and the curse point. that put on the franchise i do not want a wally the alligator curse it's the last so, thing i want out of an abundance of caution maybe we'll get wally the alligator tonight could be awesome said well, another fun fact about Wally. Towards the end of the article, it said, Wally loves chin rubs. That was just a standalone, was a standalone yeah. sentence. In the I, NPR I'm article. personally probably not going to put my hand. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> like, what? Yes. So another fun fact about Wally is he's also a mini celebrity, according to the owner. It was the visual reference for Alligator Loki in the Disney Plus show Loki. So, yeah. Phyllis May made a big mistake. This is... A lot, of, a lot of press that Wally brings with him, apparently. Yeah. I mean, it became an international sports story. <laughs> <laughs> so 70.7 million fans and zero alligators this year, unfortunately, for the MLB. We'll see. See what happens. This other story shows how powerful it can be when two major entities combine. So when you take a major sports brand, like the National Football League, which has nearly had nearly 20 billion of revenue during the 2022 season and combine that with a major music brand like Taylor Swift whose tour just toward this year alone has generated over a billion dollars of revenue you get the Taylor Swift boosts NFL ratings showing Star's Halo effect has staying power story this i have to say i was like all right this is a little annoying like during the bears game during the jets game but it is staggering some of these numbers yes, of some how, of, how far her just being at a game moved the needle. So this past Sunday night football game on NBC, which had featured the Chiefs and the Jets, the Jets not a very good team right now, drew 27 million viewers, which was a very strong ratings performance and the second most watched NFL game of the season. I think they said it was the most watched game on the network since the Super Bowl. I would believe that. Yeah. The story also goes on to say the NFL and NBC didn't shy away from capitalizing on the moment. Hi, Swifties. We'll be with you all night. NBC Sports commentator Mike Tirico said at the beginning of the telecast. Yes, they leaned in hard. They I did. think the opening song they used, too, is a Taylor Swift. Yes, and then it was. There was another segment where Carson Daly um, from The Voice and host on NBC explained the game in simple terms to Swifties, assuming that they weren't regular viewers of football. The game alone drew significantly more teen girls ages 12 to 17 than usual, according to Nielsen, which is just, all this is amazing. Yeah, I think it said 53% rise in that demo group. Yep. It ignited social media conversation and prompted nearly 740,000 conversations about Kelsey on X, formerly known as Twitter. 
sales of Kelsey's jersey skyrocketed since September 24th. Fanatics, the sports merchandise company, also said they have seen hundreds of custom sales of Chiefs jerseys with the names including Mr. Swift and T-Swift. Could you imagine? Yeah, it's a, four, it's a 400% rise in jersey sales for Travis Kelsey. Wild. Which, does he see? I don't know. How does that that's work? A Is there a commission question. there or something? I'm sure he sees something. Hopefully. So Taylor, shout out Taylor Swift for helping him out there. And the Swift Kelsey mania has also inspired a TikTok trend where women try to agitate their football-loving husbands, telling them that Swift has helped Kelsey and quote-unquote put him on the map. <laughs> <laughs> so I've seen a lot of these debates of I th- I think there's no debate here, but the debate is, well, who was more famous before? Taylor Swift or Travis Kelsey? It's got to be Taylor Swift. Yes, 100%. Because I looked it up. Taylor Swift has 273 million followers on Instagram. The NFL in total has 184 million fans, which I'd say if you're a true NFL fan, obviously you know who Travis Kelsey is. Once you get too far outside of the NFL realm, you probably probably don't know anymore. Probably not. I do wonder what is the shelf life of this, though. At what point does it get old? And Uh, and I'm assuming... This Sunday, it starts to get old. And I'm assuming she doesn't go to every, she's not going to every game the rest of the season. So I got to think that the Taylor Swift demo is not going to suddenly become Chiefs super fans. That would be the best ending to this story of <sighs> they eventually break up, but now the Chiefs are the biggest fan base. Could you imagine? Because people just <laughs> latched onto the Chiefs. But, you know, good on the NFL, though, for leaning into it. Oh, they're leaning hard. Okay. I saw their bio on Twitter. It's like Swifties are 2-0 and or something like that. But gotta strike while the while the iron's hot i guess oh yeah interesting story kind of tired of hearing about it at this point but huge huge story in the sports world i know that all right any parting thoughts here sean maybe some more hope now as we as we enter october things come a little more into view get closer to the next fed meeting um like we talked about all those seasonality trends maybe we can leave behind that red september that we felt kind of forward looking here feels like we're gonna reach the point soon where rate the rate market is going to capitulate use another finance term and maybe the pressure won't be as 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 great uh, but it does seem like we're stuck in this world as as rates go stocks will go in the opposite direction for for now anyway so we hope to have out a, a wealth iq if, if you're a client that's listening within the next uh next few days that will help explain some more of what happened in markets over the summer if you weren't paying attention what's going on in the, the fixed income market right now so stay uh on the lookout for that. Yeah, stay tuned for that. And like we said, we've got a couple more interviews that will be coming in the following weeks. So lots of good information and content still to come. All right. Until next week. Until next week. Until next week.